Tigers got 152 yards. Should be just a nice, comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. Tournament predictions and conversation on all the storylines across the PGA Tour. This is On the Green, WFUV's exclusive golf podcast. But for the first time in 75 years, Los Angeles Country Club, the Northern Course, is hosting the U.S. Open. And this is On the Green, a production of WFUV Sports. How's it going, everybody? Will Town here alongside me, Riley Lucas and Chris Carino. And this is a special podcast. We haven't had an On the Green episode in quite some time. We're bringing it back with the U.S. Open now two days in. We're currently at the current time of recording we're in day three where ricky fowler still in the lead we'll get into that and everything else u.s open in just a few moments but let's start right off the jump how are you guys doing today i'm really excited to be here i've been waiting to get on the green going again and this is the perfect time we're in the midst of the whole live pga controversy still trickling down a little bit and now we have the u.s open so like you said it's the best time to be here Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, just kind of from my perspective here, I mean, I was kind of almost completely obsolete, ignorant, just not in the world whatsoever around two to three years ago. And just kind of around this drama and kind of around this hoopla era of golf is kind of really when I became a fan. So it's extremely interesting just to kind of seeing how this live stuff has kind of transpired and kind of seemingly concluded here. And like even more exciting, obviously, in L.A., that course is just so amazing and just so unique it's kind of the best word to describe it so it's really it's been awesome to see the u.s open there and it's, it's, it's a really 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 exciting time for golf and as you guys both mentioned the pga tour live golf and dp world tour they have merged if we'll get into our thoughts on that towards the end of the episode but they have merged the only real big headline with that over the last few days is there could be a threat of it kind of falling through which you know big mergers like this that's that that happens especially with the kind of tension that has gone on with these kinds of tours they're trying to make the sport better but there's a lot of financials tied into it so we'll see how it goes it may take a year or two to really get that going and completed but as of right now we have the U.S. Open a huge major in the world of golf and as Chris pointed out the course Los Angeles Country Club the Northern Course it's a very difficult course, but let's just jump right into it. Thursday, everybody out there really did not make it look like a very difficult course. I want to highlight Ricky Fowler to start, who is our leader at minus 10 on the board right now. A guy that's kind of notorious for not really closing the door and getting the job done. He can get you there the first couple of days, but then once 
the any tournament really any major starts to conclude he kind of starts to lose steam but so far he really has not done that and he stayed consistent so i'll open the door now i'll start with you riley ricky fowler what are your thoughts on fowler really making that jump he was 185 in the world and now he's back to the top 50 a big time golfer what have you seen out of ricky fowler in this u.s open well, I mean, I'll start with a little bias. I'm rooting for Ricky Fowler because I've always been a fan. Actually, a little fun story. When I was eight years old, I went to, it was at the time, the Vals Bar, or it was Transitions back then. And almost every golfer, um, no shade to Ryan Moore, uh, disregarded me when I was trying to get an autograph. And Ricky Fowler was the one who stopped with me, got a picture and signed like all my stuff. So I will always root for him, a little bias there. But I mean, aside from that, I think he had an exceptional first round. He didn't do as well in the second round, but still his second round performance was a dream. And I think he really made the key changes that have been sealing his fate, I would say. You know, he's altered his grip pressure, which is something he's talked about. And he really allowed his putter to free up and flow better on the long putts, which was a previous problem of his. And I mean, if you notice that uphill putt on the 12th hole yesterday, that was just beautiful. So it's very evident that he's making these key changes needed and I'm rooting for him. I hope he seals it. Um, When I kind of think about Ricky winning this weekend, I kind of think of it almost like storybook ending, like, you know, film ending, you know, this general, this kind of journey he's been on over the last, however many years he's been on tour. It seems like, it's always trending and it's always trending and it's always trending. But then it's just that upper echelon just seems to be, there's some, there just seems to be some sort of disconnect. But I feel like if this can be the one, he's playing just tremendous golf. Like, I mean, it's just, it's showing maturity in the game too. He's not even leading by risk. He's not even leading by necessarily doing anything too crazy. He's just playing his game. And I think it's extremely mature from him. It's something that it's kind of a maturity we haven't seen in spades or seen with a consistent amount in a long time. And I really like how he's playing. Um, I think it's, as I said, it's kind of like storybook or a movie ending for him to kind of get this win. It would be the biggest win that he's gotten, like at least in recent memory, probably ever. And I just think it would, especially with LA, LACC and just how unique of a U.S. Open it is, it would just be storybook for just Ricky and honestly the entire tour, especially with all the negativity around it right now. Definitely. I think it definitely would be his biggest win ever. It's the kind of guy, like I was saying before we, we introduced him and opened up with the show. It's the guy that doesn't really close the door a whole lot. And in, in, uh, he's got six top 15 finishes in his last seven events. So a guy that's always in the mix, but can never really get the job done. Now in the opening round, he had 10 birdies and he was eight under shot a single seat, a single round record for the U S open at 62, which is good. Like I said, for eight under, but the next man I want to talk about matched him on Thursday in that opening round, and that was Xander Schauffele. He matched Fowler's 62 score. He's the number six player in the world. He made eight po bo um, birdies, excuse me, um, in comparison to Fowler's 10, and he also had zero bogeys. A big thing that's keeping Xander in this is that he does not go over par. He obviously one of the best players in the world. He's finished in the top 15 at the U.S. Open in his last six years, and he is definitely on pace to do so. So, guys, we got a back and forth race. Two guys that have been at the top since the conclusion of Thursday. Where do you guys see? And I'll start with you, Chris. Now, Xander and Ricky really falling tomorrow afternoon. Well, kind of 
as this tournament got started and as they kind of, you know, let, got to their um, starting points, I kind of was thinking it was it was Xander and Ricky all day one. That was kind of the duel. That was kind of the premier duel, if you will. And I kind of feel like, obviously, there's been some other activity around that top four area. But I think when it shakes out, it's going to be Xander and Ricky in that one and two. Do I know who's going to be one and two? Not necessarily. I would have to kind of biasly and just from how I kind of getting on a feel standpoint, I would say it's probably going to be Ricky just from how much maturity he's showing and confidence he's showing. But, but the way Xander's been playing for the last three or so months, I don't really ever count him out of any tournament. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree to an extent, but I also think that, you know, let's not forget about Wyndham Clark. I think that we really still need to keep an eye out for him. I mean, that birdie on the 16th hole yesterday, I think, was a beautiful shot, and I think he has that in him. I think he's always had an amazing golf swing on paper. If you really look at the fundamentals and bring it down, it's beautiful, but he just hasn't been able to really seal something with it, and I think that he's still in it, and I don't think we should count him out just yet as well. I like Wyndham Clark. I like that you mentioned him there, Riley. We'll definitely get into Wyndham Clark in just a little bit because that's definitely a guy that has been creeping up, wasn't so much in the mix, definitely was that out of it by any stretch, but on Friday, he definitely moved himself higher up into the ranks. And as we are here on Saturday, he is still in the mix for sure. But just to cap Xander off here, that lat the uh, top 15 U.S. Open stat that I pulled out just before, the last player to accomplish such a feat as that was Larry Watkins from 81 to 86. And then Jack Nicklaus holds the record the most consecutive top 15 finishes in the U.S. Open with 12 from 1971 to 1982. So Xander Shoplay in some very elite company. Another big name I want to mention from Thursday. Thursday, Rory McIlroy, six birdies, and he sat five under to finish in third after Thursday's play. Uh, he missed the cut at the Masters, and he finished tied for seventh at the PGA Championship. Uh, but he has looked very, very free-flowing, in my opinion, on the tee box. He, uh, I was listening on Thursday, and uh, the broadcaster that was commentating on I forget what hole it was, but he said he kind of just swings like he's a kid out there. And, you know, he, he really does. Mechanically, he does as well, but he just knows how to keep the ball in the fairway. I mean, a 382-yard drive um, off his first tee box, it just, like I said, extremely free and easy. Another one of those guys still in the mix. More, I would say more so um, definitely on Thursday and then a little bit on uh, Friday. I have to, I would have to look right now. I haven't looked before we started recording where he's at specifically right now, but definitely a guy that's had a great tournament. Guys, your thoughts on Rory McIlroy? I mean, I, to me, this touches back on that storybook ending. I think when you see someone that you kind of grew up with in watching golf and you see them do well, you know, you always want them. It's like, you know, not to compare it to another sport, but we've had all these athletes in the NBA and you kind of forget about them for a minute and then they creep back up here and win. And for some reason, I always do forget about Rory. I don't know why, because he isn't not a big name, but, you know, just to see him playing, I think his short game has also been very incredible. I think that 12th hole putt for birdie, I believe it was, you know, seeing the short game on his end is as well has been really impressive to see. So the one thing about these tournaments is you really just can't count anybody out. They might have an amazing round, and then the next day you just don't know. And we just don't know what's to come for any of these players. But I think Rory McIlroy has always been a solid guy. And like you said, everything's been looking pretty decent for him. 
Yeah, I mean, when I kind of think of Rory, I, I'm kind of not really seeing him. I mean, right now, by the way, he's tied for third. Uh, he's eight under. Um, but when I kind of look down, because Rory is kind of in that dark horse lane, but when you think even, you know, lower into the kind of scoreboard here, and we kind of think dark horse territory, a guy like Dustin Johnson, I feel like, kind of staying at six under is, like, super scary. And I think that that's, like, flying so under the radar on this leaderboard. And I think that's a guy that, especially with, like, the recent news and things like that, it's less for him to comprehend. It's less for him to go on. Obviously, he's on the uh, the bad side, or, you know, he's on, he's in the Death Star, so to speak. But I do think that Dustin, you know, from his career, the way that I've kind of been accustomed to how he is um i kind of feel like i this is a tournament that i could just so see him just sneaking up and winning at the last second just sneaking it right from ricky's uh, right under his nose and it's a tournament that he's won in the past too yeah. dustin johnson you know a little older towards the end of his career maybe so to say you never really know in golf but definitely older but a tournament that he's won not the same course but you know when you win the u.s open once you know you always have that and, and any major, really, you always kind of hold that as like, I've done it once, I could do it again. You know, some majors, you look at it, the Masters, you always play at Augusta. So whoever wins that, they've won it before, they can do it again. Uh, the U.S. Open, it switches up a little bit, but still holding the magnitude of the kind of ma of the major is very important. And Dustin Johnson, one thing with me that I've seen, because I really like that take there, Chris, uh, his consistency, he hit. 13 all 13 fairways at LACC on Thursday and as you said en route to a six under 64 definitely a guy that I would keep my eyes on as well but I want to take a look at the current leaderboard before we hop into Friday's action and a little little note we had three hole in ones we had three hole in ones on Thursday all on hole 15 Matthew Pavone Sam Burns and Matthew Fitzpatrick that was all unbelievable and before I look into the leaderboard, I just want to ask you guys, you know, that hole, all three of them took very similar shots. They all had that shot that went kind of above the hole and it took some crazy backspin and went back towards the hole. So guys, I mean, that was some of the, the craziest, <laughs> that, that was like the craziest hole I think I've seen in a major in a, in a while. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. I think, you know, not to pivot into this conversation, but just seeing how everyone's played this course has kind of been fun for me to watch. I mean, there's some people who love it. There's some people who hate it. I mean, again, to pivot, I mean, you have Brooks uh, Kepka who had, he voiced his opinion and he hasn't been playing great at all. And, you know, he said that he wasn't a huge fan of the place and there's a lot of blind tee shots we know. And some people are just playing incredible on it. It just really depends the person. I think watching these putts has just been <laughs> awesome. I mean, it's just, it's really cool, especially in a place like LACC. I mean, I was watching, they were kind of doing coverage on the course, like a little bit on ESPN. And they were talking about like, just like the rough around the greens in some of the places and just like how balls can just straight up disappear. So kind of like anomalies when we talk about the game, such as hole-in-ones or just like freak things that are especially apparent in golf. I feel mm -hmm. like when it's, when it's LACC matching that and kind of those aesthetics coming together, I tend to really like that. I tend to like really enjoy that, especially like in a viewing kind of, you know, form. And they've made L uh, LACC very, um, from what I was listening to, very, they tried to make it as, as similar to the original course as they could, especially with the bunkers. And, um, you know, just to try to make it more difficult. And especially on day one, it did not look very difficult for some. But then again, 
for some, it was definitely very difficult. So mm -hmm. let's go into that. The leaderboard as of last night, this is not including today's action. But Ricky Fowler was at 10 under and a two under on Friday. Wyndham Clark, as Riley said, he was nine under. Xander Schauffele, eight under and tied with Rory McIlroy for third there, both at eight under. And then Harris English at seven under with a big, big four under on Friday, really boosted him up a little bit there. And just some notables I really want to point out that just have not played that well. Bryson DeChambeau, he is just one under as of last night. He was two over on Friday. And Victor Hovland also just one, uh, he's one under even on Friday. Colin Morikawa and Brooks Kepka tied for 30th. Yeah. And they're even both one under on Friday. And guys, two guys that, you know, big names in the sport, uh, Kepka obviously being a big live golf guy and Morikawa, you know, really a dominant name out there in the world of golf and, uh, you know, really not making a whole lot of noise in this U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I think Brooks Kepka, like I said, just coming out and originally saying he wasn't a huge fan of the place. He think he should be around par, just having that inner doubt. You know, I wasn't too confident in him. So it, it's this also goes back to what I said, like, you know, it's really interesting to see how the people react to this course, because it's just completely not what I would have expected going into this. I expected a lot better from Brooks Kepka, but he doubted himself from the start. So. I, I actually expected worse from Brooks. I kind of thought like he would not make the cut. Like I just like I just thought he was gonna phone it in. Like I actually think it's kind of impressive that he's even from the start. Like I yeah I just thought because like I don't know he's had I feel like usually when Brooks gets a big win he kind of just takes the six months off after that. Like he's kind of just like whatever. Like we're cool. I got that prize money. Like we can kind of live off that. But the fact that he's kind of he's saying I know what you're saying. I'm kind of almost coming at it from like a comedic perspective. Like mm -hmm. in you know true competitor you know mindset, he's completely wrong and he should be trying to win every tournament. Yeah. But knowing Brooksy, Brooksy is spending the time enjoying himself in the night and just kind of you know just going through the motions. It seems like the next couple of days, and we'll let him do that because I'm sure in six to eight months he might be a top five golfer in the world. It's just kind of how Brooksy is. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I could see. It. I just think for the U.S. Open that it's one of those like pick it up type of vibes. I agree. I agree. It's, it's just how he is, you know. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, Colin, like I, vibe. I could see it a little more for Colin just because he really hasn't won since taking the British Open back in what was that, twenty twenty one, summer twenty twenty one. Yeah. So I, I wasn't really expecting much for him, but because I think with all the live stuff going on, I just expected Brooks to maybe come out here and represent that to a higher extent but once I heard uh his comments on the course originally about how he wasn't really a huge fan and all the blind tee shots and he wasn't expecting so um well of himself that's kind of when I was like all right there we go well you know let's move into Friday now another big day for the U.S. Open um as predicted round two they had to make it a lot more difficult and they did just that no one scored eight under like they did on Thursday Part three on the seven, the part three seven pole was a big game changer. On Thursday, that seven pole was measured at 258 yards and it was playing downhill. Uh, on Friday, that seven pole was lengthened to 299 for one of the longest par threes in U.S. Open history. It was the hardest hole of the day with an average score of three and a half a stroke over par. Big, big changes there. They had to do it. Uh, it was just, you know, there were some guys that were just making it look a little too easy. And then they uh, they did a good job of 
making it a little more challenging for the guys out there. So that par three seventh and the par three 11th holes, they were extended by nearly 40 yards each from Thursday. A big part of the course being harder was that um, compared to Thursday was that the sun was able to break through the marine layer and uh, the fairway as the fairway and greens, it, they firmed up the course just a little bit. So I want to circle back to our two big guys from Thursday, Xander Shoplight and Ricky Fowler. I want to start with Xander. He bogeyed the long par three seventh as a result of his first three putt and bogey of the entire tournament. Uh, one of his best shots came in the par three ninth as his tee landed in the right greenside bunker after recording a birdie on the par eighth. And he was able to get his bunker shot to within seven feet and made that for par and a critical sand save. So a lot of electric stuff here from both of them. Let's start with Xander. So let's look at Friday. How are you guys, how are you guys feeling about how Xander played on Friday? Your turn. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I did. I wasn't sure. Because, uh, yeah, the first two original questions went to you first. Anyway, uh, yeah. Um, I think Xander was good on Friday. I mean, it, it's just – it's interesting because, obviously, with, like, Clark and guys like McElroy, as I'm just kind of, like, reading off the leaderboard here, um, it was kind of, as I said, a duel between Ricky and Xander. It's kind of like that top draw, you know, like, it's it's that big draw that everyone wants to see them just going at each other. And it was kind of looking that way for a while. And I do feel like Ricky was just – I don't know. It's it's a level of consistency, but it's almost not that because of like Xander, it kind of has that in spades. It's it, it's something else that I don't really. I'm not articulate. I'm not articulate enough to uh, quite understand right now. But um, I do think Xander is putting himself kind of in a good place, kind of like how I was talking about with Dustin, to kind of get this from under Ricky's nose, as I kind of was talking about it with Dustin, kind of how he's putting himself in a, in a good situation. Xander's even higher. Xander's even in a better situation. And I do feel like, as we kind of talked about in the first three minutes of the pod, it's kind of Ricky's to lose right now. Um, so kind of when I look back Friday, it was kind of the amalgamation of that duel. And then I don't I, – it, it just – I'm not totally sure – like how much better he has to play um, to kind of get there, but it has to be on par or better than he played the next day, Saturday, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now he's currently third on the leaderboard and he's only behind Wyndham Clark by one stroke. So I just think that there's so much to happen. I think another thing that I could say about Xander is the attitude he's had while playing. He's kept it cool. He hasn't gotten too excited. He hasn't gotten too disappointed by anything. And I think that's really important for carrying it through all the days of the U.S. Open. So it's really just a matter of, like you said perfectly, what's Ricky going to do? Is Ricky going to fall off? Is Ricky going to hold that top spot? Because I think that's the most important thing to look at here. So the guy sandwiched in between both shot play and Fowler as you were mentioning before, Riley, Wyndham Clark, those yes. three all separated by at most two strokes. Wyndham Clark is nine under, and Ricky currently leads at 10 under, and Xander is eight under. So it's a it's going to be a dogfight up until tomorrow afternoon. But let's talk about Wyndham Clark for a little bit. And he, he entered the week at number eight in the FedEx Cup standings, largely benefited by his victory at the Wells Fargo Championships a couple weeks before the PGA Championship. Uh, par is his friend and bogey is the enemy at the U.S. Open. He recorded 13 pars and one bogey. He birdied the other four holes, and he, in, including a very difficult long par four on, on 16. 
He hit the left side of the fairways about 350 yards, which is that's a very, very good, you know, shot out there each time you're trying to hit a fairway. His approach shot got him to 44 feet and had the right speed and the right line to make a lot of birdies. On par five, 14th, his approach landed along a hill with a little more than 80 yards to go. His stance was abnormal, but he was able to pull off a big flap shot and make a 12-footer and get it up down for birdie. So Wyndham Clark is really chugging along here. As I said, kind of sandwiched in the middle. I'll start with you, Riley, because you brought him up first. What do what does Wyndham Clark need to do in order to jump Ricky and take this U.S. Open, as Chris was saying, kind of underneath Fowler's nose? I think really, like, you know, how you said something about, you mentioned something about his stance. I think really for him, he's someone I've followed for a while because just for myself learning golf as a child, he was a, a prime person that we broke down his swing a lot because like I said, on paper, he has a beautiful swing. If you really look at the fundamentals, he slows everything down perfectly. He puts his weight on the right feet. He just knows what he's doing. And I like to watch it. There's just always something that he just can't seal it. And I'm hope you know, obviously I'm going for Ricky. I think we should still keep a huge eye out for Wyndham Clark. And, you know, I want to go out on a limb and just say that he really just needs to perfect and make sure his long game's good because he has a solid swing and then he could grant that. I mean, he had a great 16th hole, like I mentioned previously. And I just think that he honestly just needs to focus on keep having that playing time. Um, yeah, Clark, I mean, I'm, when you read his second round scorecard, it reads quite beautifully. I mean, he kind of goes par on the first three holes, which is including a par five, which is one of them. And then after that, it's just beautiful. I mean, there's two par fives after that on the course. He uh, birdies both of those, and then it's just straight par through the rest of it. That second round really showed a lot of, like, just a lot of heart and just a lot of character, especially on the back half. That back nine was just extremely impressive with the th with three of them, three of the nine uh, being birdies. Four um, and yeah, uh, total for that round, so. Yeah, but three in the back nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so it was just very interesting. I think the two par fives on eight and on uh, 14, when he has those two birdies, those were massive in the second round. I think that could make or break you, those two par fives, especially on this course. I think, you know, in, in any U.S. Open late, if it's a par five, it's going to it make or break. But especially, you know, as we've been harping on for this last, you know, however, however minutes, you know, LACC especially makes those par fives even more valuable. And important. Yeah. He really just needs I'm to have good. his round one over again. You know, like you said, Will, every, uh, round two, everyone didn't do so well compared to the first day. Uh, he just really needs to come back and have a round one type of play because, I mean, he has an eagle. He's got racked up some bogeys, a birdie, birdie, multiple birdies. So I think if he just gets back into that mentality and really focuses and just works on that swing and makes sure it stays perfect, then I think it's possible. Absolutely. They, uh, you know, like I said, too, they made it intentionally a lot harder. So it's really, uh, I think it's really going to come down to who can handle that, that who was able to handle that second day change uh, mm -hmm. as well as they did. And I think Wyndham Clark is definitely, I think it's going to be between three of them. And that's going to lead me into, you know, kind of our outro of U.S. Open talk here. I really firmly believe it's going to come down to either Fowler, Clark, or Shoffley. And uh, obviously they're home, like I said before, they're only separated by two strokes at the most. So let me, uh, let me go right into it. Who, I'll start with you, Chris. Who do you predict to win tomorrow afternoon on Sunday and become the next champion of the U.S. Open? 
I, I think it's Ricky's year. I think uh, the LACC is a perfect setting and perfect backdrop for the coronation. And I think that it's really going to be a special moment, not just for him, uh, not just for this like kind of time and space we're in for golf, but just golf as a sport as a whole. It's going to be a really big moment. And obviously, like guys like Scotty and Clark are extremely talented. And by the way, they're playing, you know, in this tournament, especially with just, you know, that word we've been throwing around consistency they've been having. I can see, you know, post-success, post-U.S. Um, Open as well for the all three. Yeah, I mean, I hate to just be boring and agree with you and not have some outrageous take, but I do think it's Ricky's year as well. I look at it as, you know, we talked about it earlier. We've always – he's always been around, but he hasn't really – done it if that makes sense he hasn't done something big and not to compare it to another sport but he's like my DeAndre Jordan I mean we just saw he's been around he's been a part of our childhood forever and you know we've always wanted to see him seal the deal and we haven't and then he just did with the Nuggets so I'm hoping he's like my DeAndre Jordan of golf this time he's a childhood favorite of mine so it truly does come down to bias for me I was that was one of the first players that really got me into this sport so I'm hoping for him I think it's about time I think he's earned it I hope that Ricky can finally close the door for, you know, first time really, you know, he like, like we've been saying, it's just been kind of tough and it is tough. It's a tough sport. You got to stay consistent for three to four days, but I think he stays in it long enough to be at least top two, but I, I, I don't see him closing the door this time. I, I, I don't think he's going to end up doing it. I'm going to go to with Wyndham Clark. Yeah, okay. screw it. I'm going to go with Wyndham Clark. You know, he's only down by a stroke. Um, I one bad hole can change the entire landscape of how we're going to see um, our leaderboard take shape at the end of today and then for tomorrow as well. So I'm going to go with Wyndham Clark. I'm going to give it I to him. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I, I, I think it's going to be between those three. It, it, it's got to be. It's got to be between those three. A, yeah, no, I think, sorry to cut you off. I just think he's such a fundamentally good golfer that I wouldn't mind seeing it go to Wyndham Clark either. Well it's going to come down to who can make like I said, who can make the best changes to what LL, uh, LACC does to the course or, you know, what, how they decide to, you know, make this more difficult than it already is. So, yeah. uh, like, give me Wyndham Clark. I like the Ricky Fowler picks from you both. Um, I, I do hope that he can get a major where he closes the door. I just don't see it in this one. So before we wrap up, I want to hit the headline of golf in general that's been out for about two weeks. You know, the U.S. Open has kind of overshadowed this um, now since since it happened. Because um, but there's a little bit of uh, a little developing news in it, but it's so young. I don't even know if I can call it the developing. We'll of course mention it, but obviously, as we said at the top of the show, the PGA Tour, Live Golf, and DP World are merging to make one. Big event, big tour, whatever you want to call it. They, I don't even know if they know what they're going to call it yet. But they are taking both of those, all three of those, and making it one big sport. Um, the only real headline that I've seen on this since the U.S. Open has started is that there is definitely a danger and a threat that it could very easily fall through. And with, you know, you're dealing with tours and, you know, just organizations that have a lot of money poured into them. That is very, very likely in an old fashioned sport too. So um, I, I want to emphasize that too. It's a golf is a very traditional game. So you don't really want to mess with it. And now, uh, you know, over the last oh. couple of years, the PGA has been rivaled, especially by live golf. So 
Yeah. It's a very uh, interesting development. Nobody really knew that this was going to happen. No one was really informed that this was going to happen. It kind of just happened. So I want to hear your guys' thoughts. We'll start with you, Riley, on this merger of the three. Do you see it happening? Do you see it not happening? When? What? Like, just overall, what do you see for the sport of golf in general, too, with this big merger? Listen, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I've been waiting to talk about this. I'm very happy that we started on the green just to cover this topic because I'm really – think this is a segment we need to dive into and originally I've never been a live hater I don't know if that is controversial but I've never been against it truly I haven't been the only bad guy I see in this whole controversy is Jay Monahan, and I think that ties into this merger because he was the one who was so set on the morals of the PGA and not wanting to take dirty Saudi money and go into that whole scandal. Yet he was so easy to be a hypocrite and a sellout. And, you know, he made statements, the PGA in general, they would talk about how they had, um, they didn't have the money and, you know, we can't compare that Liv can spend whatever they want. It's not fair. And now all of a sudden here they have 58 million extra dollars and, you know, $20 million worth of prize money that they're willing to tie in with Liv. And I just think the whole thing's, I think it's a joke. And I think most importantly, the victims are those who stayed riding and stayed loyal to the PGA. You know, how much of a slap in the face is that? That they were loyal to the morals that the PGA was so focused on setting in place. And here, Jay Monahan threw it all out of the window for, you know, financial, I, you know, it all comes down to money. It really does. And I think that's the lesson we have to learn here that money is money. And, you know, business is business. And you really can't trust anybody. And even, you know, in sports in general, you it, you know you want to stay true to your morals and stay loyal and trust me that's something I agree with but in this case and what we've learned with this merger I think it's just an absolute joke I think Jay Monahan is very disappointing um I think the fact that he was so like I said against live and now just so willing to merge um I'm I'm excited to see if it lasts or if it does fall through um, that's something I just really can't say. I've been a little shocked with everything that's taken place so far. I never expected them to merge because they were so hell bent against not doing that. So I really can't tell you if it's going to fall through or not, but I just think that we've seen so many instances. It's a little weird almost that this has been so harped on. This is like a whole nother conversation, but you know, the whole issue was the Saudi money and bad money, but just look at all of our other sports. I mean, we have the Olympics. We've had similar issues with that. We have had problems with the NBA with China. So I think at the end of the day, there's always going to be some controversy with finances, but it's a business. That's what it comes down to. I think just the only disappointing thing is how Jay Monahan, like I said, had everyone so convinced that the PJ's morals were so strong and convinced so many people to support him just to just turn his backs on not only the players, but the fans. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's mass amounts of hypocrisy from the PGA. Um, obviously like the future is so unclear that I almost don't really have anything like crazy substantial to say, cause I don't know anything, but like, I just, like a guy like Tiger turning down like a billion dollars, like yeah. how are we compensating him? Like, what are we like? I, I just, I don't understand how any loyalty can remain for these guys who, you know, turn down these large amounts of money. And, you know, I, Dave Portnoy released the, the best reaction to it. And a lot of his points were dead on. But one of the points he harped on a lot was just, it was the whole time it was about the money. You know, mm -hmm. the reason why, you know, they were going against Liv and the reason why they were saying it was dirty money and being antagonizing toward that organization was because it was their competition and they didn't want to lose money. Like it was the motive in the beginning. It was the motive in the middle. And it was definitely the motive in the end. And I feel like, once people see that 
it doesn't make it more forgivable or better in any way, but I think you can understand the situation more and it becomes less confusing almost in a way. I, you know, I gotta, I gotta second you there, Chris. I don't really have like a whole, whole lot because it's so, it's been so um, just all over the place. It's been this huge division in the sport. Um, where I like it is that it's exactly what you just said, Chris. It rivaled the PGA, something that had never been rivaled, like ever. The PGA never, never had a rival. Now it does. What really hurts about that, though, is that a lot of these big events are missing really big names. Um, a positive with that, though, that opens the door for younger guys, guys that haven't really, you know, been on the tour that long or trying to make a name for themselves now. It gives them an opportunity, <coughs> excuse me, to you know, get their shot. But, you know, sometimes I, I really want to see certain guys play and keep competing until it's all said and done. Why? Because they are the best in the sport. So I think the merger, it, it's obviously it attacks the best for the sport kind of mentality. And that's what you really need. Golf should not have this kind of division. Like, you know, in different sports, you have different conferences and you have different leagues, and but it's all the same sport. This kind of feels a lot different than that it doesn't feel like you have a different conference it doesn't feel like you have a different league it's it's a tour so to say you have different tours for people to choose from but they're not they, they can't compete against each other like i want to see these guys continue to compete against each other and this you know this this hurts that that kind of story you know to tell now the story is you know Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka, you know, they, they decided to go to live and these guys are in the PGA and all of this, you know? So it's, yeah. you know, it's very hard to, for me at least to really latch on to a stance here because it, there's just so much going on. And personally, I don't really follow golf that much to be like, it should be this, that, the third, whatever. Yeah, it's I almost, it's almost a lack of knowledge and a lack of education on the subject makes me not want to have like a poignated stance. Kind exactly. of like it's exactly, exactly what you're saying. I just think yeah. that yeah. just as from a fan perspective in general, you have some guy, you have Jay Monahan coming out here and just making everyone so connected to the PGA saying, no, our, our moral compass doesn't go for that. We're loyal. We're loyal to our fans. We're loyal to, you know, we're not going to take the dirty Saudi money. We don't. We don't want that. So it has all these people, you know, whether your knowledge is on uh, on golf is vast or little or whatever, it doesn't matter. As long as you're a fan of the sport, this guy is basically convinced you to ride his bandwagon because of a moral compass. And then, you know, it all comes down to the reason he was saying that was just because he didn't have the Saudi money. He didn't have the funds. And now that he's merging or he wants to merge and this is something that's potentially in process, it's a whole nother story. And I think it's a slap in the face to anyone who watches golf, whether it's a casual or a diehard. And, you know, I, I completely agree with that, Riley. I just, you know, I, even with you saying that, like, I know who Jay Monahan is, but that's how, like, you know, I much, I really haven't followed it. Yeah. I like, don't really know even like all of that, that you were just saying, you know, I would need to really investigate it more. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, it's definitely a huge development in this sport. I really hope that they, you know, they do end up coming together to some kind of agreement. The hypocrisy part is, that is very tough because it's, yeah. Jay Bonahan has put himself from what, you know, from what you're saying, Riley, you know, he's put himself in a really bad spot. It's like, yeah, what are you doing? Respect. Yeah, like, what are you doing? You know, it's, um, yeah. so 
I think with that knowledge, the sport is going to be hurt for that. Yeah. Because of that, it's going to be hurt. That doesn't mean it can't be mended, but that will hurt it a lot and it will take mm -hmm. time. So, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah. Like I said before, it may not even happen. It may happen. And if it does happen, I did hear it will take at least a year, maybe more for them to really like have Work a set agreement on this. So yeah, you know, we'll I mean, keep an eye on it. Obviously it's big news, but it's, we'll it's going to take a little bit. Yeah. I mean, another solid take though, this was before the merger was even announced because like you said, we still have a lot of time to figure out the logistics. I'm excited to see if it even goes through or how they work this out. But Tiger Woods, when this whole live thing started, he made a really solid point And he basically said, you know, how is this going to hurt the validity of golf? Because these players are getting paid millions up front just to show up to these events. I mean, what's the incentive now to practice and actually win them? You know, you have people who, what was it? Dustin Johnson, just over a hundred millions to join this league. Yeah. Join yep. this, you know, so what is the drive now for these golfers to give these memorable performances that we've seen in the PGA because they've had to work for it? It's, it's, you know, how is that going to go? And I'm excited to see how that goes just with live in general, as well as with the merger with the PGA and live. I also, I, I feel like people are scared about like the financial when it comes to the players and like incentive to like win and stuff, but like that's every other sport. Like that's how every other sport is like you get paid guaranteed money. And then like, like, yeah, you might get a bonus if you win, but like that's not any money that anyone, that's not changing anyone's life whatsoever. Any bonuses if you win a championship, but I do feel like those guys compete just as much, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of incentive is, you know, economic in the golf game, just because it's an economic game at heart, just like from its birth it's just extremely economic but i do feel like it's going to start to almost americanize which is definitely the wrong word but like i feel like you both know what i'm trying to like say and it's um, almost gonna it's almost gonna just have to it's gonna force these players to just create other incentives for themselves and for you know their loved ones and the people around them to like play better and win and i feel yeah. like that's exciting i feel like separating uh, money from like winning incentive in sport is on honestly like a good trend and i think it is a good way to go and i think it's a trend that should continue to move forward yeah i mean either way there's going to be a lot of changes with golf in the future no Time. matter which way it goes but it's not something we as american sports fans are blind to like you said perfectly i think we've seen this lots of times with basketball you know you have these players who get paid millions and millions up front and it's just a matter of do they want to go out there and win and we've seen it they do and on top of that like i mentioned previously we've had all the scandals with dirty money with the nba and china and all this and even going back to the olympics so it's not something that we're blind to as american sports fans but we are in terms of golf so it's just going to be something interesting to see how it turns out definitely Absolutely. And un unfortunately, you know, it always just comes down to money. And I got to, I got to, to wrap here, I got to conclude with what I was saying before, you know, to Chris's point and to yours as well now, Riley, it's um, the PGA finally had a rival. Golf. I don't even want to just point out PGA. Golf finally had a rivalry. It never really had a ri rivalry. Why? Because it's an individual sport. You can have players who are rivals against one another, but it's not like, you know, you have the Knicks and the Nets, the Yankees and the Red Sox, you know, the Jets and the Patriots. It's not that kind of rivalry. Now it's a sport that is being challenged and is being, I guess you could say modernized. I don't really feel like that's the right word to describe that, but it's something that this sport really hasn't seen. 
it, and if, if they have, not to this magnitude. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how the golf world changes, you know, I would say from a year from today on record day of Saturday, June 17th, what that is going to be like from the next year. Maybe a whole different ball game, quite literally. But that's going to do it for this edition of On the Green. Thank you both for joining me. So for Chris Perino and Riley Lucas, I'm Will Count. We are signing off for On the Green. It is a production of WFUZ Sports.